VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third episode of the season of The Ruck. I'm joined this week by Stuart Barnes, esteemed former fly half and writer for the Times and Sunday Times. And uh, again, back in the studio this week, Alan Dimmock, features editor of Rugby World magazine. Hello, gents. How were your rugby weekends? A contrast, I would say. I I saw what I thought was one of the greatest games. And I don't like using the word great, but I would say that of this century Saturday morning when I was uh, dutifully penning for the ST uh, the New Zealand defeat against South Africa. And then I was um, utterly dejected, uh, even though the rain was awful and the conditions were terrible, to see a, 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 a Leicester Saracens game that just it seemed to lack the intensity and the oomph that I expect, expected. Now, I know I wasn't there, um, but even so, I mean, maybe it's because it came after that game on the Gold Coast, but it really was a, a flat affair. So it wasn't even improved by the fact that I then watched Rugby League's grand final from Australia, which I also thought was pretty average on Sunday morning. We'll, we'll come to that um, Leicester Saracens game, but people who were there seemed to think it was uh, it was a low scorer, but a real high intensity game. So um, there's a, yeah, it'd be interesting to, to explore that. Al, how was your weekend? Yeah, I think there's plenty to dig through with those, with those games. I think we'll we'll go into the rugby championship in some depth. An intriguing rugby championship to pick apart, actually. I mean, we probably won't go too much into it, but it's just interesting to see uh, Australia play every single game at home uh, and to see uh, how teams have, go- have gone away. I'm sure we can speak a bit about um, Argentina and the sort of turmoil that they're in at the moment, really struggling, but they haven't played a game at home since they played the, the box in Salta in 2019. So a long time ago, they haven't played at home. So lots to dig in there. One of my highlights of the last week, actually, has been I uncovered an old picture of Stuart Barnes Oh, no. On one of the photo agencies, a very young and fresh-faced Stuart Barnes, with what looked like a bit of a moustache. Actually, I might drop hit him up with it on social media later this week. So look out Alan, for that, Alan. That Alan, that was called at the time. That was all the rage when I was growing up in South Wales. Cool, cool again now. A, cool again now. We, You've we, come oh, full circle. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, we all had them in Wales, you know. I was sort of. Um, I thought I was part of the Grateful Dead in those days. So we should, we should give a shout out to uh, Owen Slot, who has been a stalwart of the ruck since it started, who has now gone, become a part-time podcaster because he's moved on to become a full-time chief sports writer of the Times. So he'll be back with us in the autumn, but I think this week his focus is on um, trying to get to Vegas to to cover Tyson Fury. Um, you, can't, you can't start off like that and not drop the news that you've also okay, stepped well, up into Slotty's role. The, the bad news is, yeah. that, is that there's now been more of me because... I'm stepping into Slotty's old shoes while Slotty flies around the world watching heavyweight boxing and football and, and that kind of thing. Congratulations, Alex. Well you, and Alex. well done you, Alex. Thank well you. done you. <laughs> Thoroughly deserved. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, Steve's not here, and I don't know if that's got anything to do with the fact we might talk about Saracens and Nigel Ray in the takeover, um, <laughs> but he'll be back next week. I'm sure he will. Um, so we should start... Well, why don't we start with the Rugby Championship? Stuart, you've been covering it in depth for, for the Sunday Times and... and You've, you've watched all those teams um, pretty close up. I mean, it's, it's high praise to say this was one of the great games, but I'm not sure you'll find too many people disagree. 
No, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough in 2013 um, to convince Sky they needed to fly me to Johannesburg to do that epic uh, game oh, yeah. live. Um, now, I think the the skill level um, might have been slightly, slightly higher there. Uh, but the drama of this game and the comeback from a South African team who, even though they got close to New Zealand the, the week before, have been so off the pace in their game uh, was astonishing. And, and I just thought it was a fascinating game. I, I, you know, I touched on it in the uh, Times today. I thought the, the small decision of Nianabar to bring on his bomb squad before halftime, not just wait for five or two minutes afterwards, just it, it gave a sense of urgency to South Africa. I thought it was a brilliant piece of management. And I've got to say, I was reminded as well, what a great player Malcolm Marks is. You know, we've got used to him just being part of a group of guys who come off the bench. He was fantastic. Um, uh, Khaleesi's leadership while he was on the pitch uh, was outstanding. Uh, and Faf de Klerk reminded us when South Africa play with more intensity, and that's not just, you know, that's not dropping the box kicking, that's fine, but get a balance to your game. But when there's a bit more pace and intensity, Faf working those short sides was, was exceptional. And, you know, Barrett created two wonder tries for New Zealand and then was forced under so much pressure from the, the, the box that his game went, it, it was everything you wanted from Test Rugby. I mean, there were two moments of supreme flair from from this weekend that I think Stuart's dancing around a little bit. Firstly is Lucanio Am's behind-the-back pass, which is something that we'll be seeing clips of forever and ever and ever in a day. I mean, sublime stuff. So whilst we talk about all the armor, but the other bit of supreme flair was uh, from the director of rugby for South Africa, um, Razi Erasmus, who was watching the game from South Africa there were clips of him celebrating at the end just in his boxer shorts. Well, he's wearing a top as well, but just wearing his boxer shorts and not much else. I imagine it was, I think it was an early afternoon game for those in South Africa, but baller move from the, the boss there to be <laughs> celebrating in his pants. Fair play, I respect it. Well, they branded. <laughs> they weren't carrying a Springbok sponsor or anything like that. No, uh, I think he's too classy for that. Well, uh, I also <laughs> it's also, also worth saying that he's... <laughs> He's back at home. I imagine there's a lot of pressure on him to not be in Australia whilst we're waiting for the World Rugby decision on which we've been waiting for a long time for to see uh, what comes down from on high about his shenanigans during the Lions tour. And still we wait. Sorry, I was going to say, Alan, I can't remember you at Twickenham um, uh, last season dancing around in your boxes when Scotland put it over the old enemy. Well, you know, England haven't beaten Scotland in four, so... Or sorry, they've got one. England have got one win in four against Scotland. So you know, there's no point in celebrating because no, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of run of the mill now, isn't it? He kept his call in Twickenham, but you should have seen him in the orange tree in Richmond a few hours later. <laughs> but it's it's funny. It's funny this game because one of the things I wanted to do after watching that epic game was get a temperature check of how things are feeling because you know it's been a bit of a roller. I mean, you forget how long it's been for it's got. I mean, if you're a, one of the South African squads, you feels like you've been in a bubble for two thousand years. It's it's been going on and on. But the temperature check, it's funny, from both teams, South Africa finished third in the rugby championship, but end on a massive high, which is a, a fantastic thing for them to to give them a bit of impetus to continue through through this autumn. Whereas New Zealand it's sort of they've got that uh okay, I don't know. I, I spoke to a good friend Liam Napier from the New Zealand Herald to sort of test his temperature about where things were and about what the mood is like in New Zealand and it was a case of better than last year but still not fantastic and one of the things that they uh, I'm getting the consent the, the sense from from friends uh, down under is that the, the All Blacks one of the things that came up and Stuart's talked about it a little bit is that they're not quite there in the mix yet they're not quite going to when someone takes their pack on physically they don't seem to be where they should be yet uh, as what we expect from the All Blacks now how long you want to let that go it's an interesting thing I was also speaking to John Cardinelli a writer in South Africa and he said that the similarity between these two teams is because we expect so much from them lose a couple games and people are calling for heads or saying that they're destroying rugby or that they're it's an interesting one one win can completely change the mood in these countries To go a bit further into depth with the rugby championship we spoke to James Horwell a bit earlier today the former Australia captain James, the, the Rugby Championship has, has just finished. Um, what are your overriding 
thoughts of, of the tournament as it unfolded and, and, and the way that the Wallabies finished it? Yeah, look, I think, um, I mean, when you look at it from a from an Australian point of view, you know, it probably started out a bit rocky coming, you know, against the All Blacks and, and going sort of 0-3 against them, which was, you know, disappointing from our point of view. But I think, you know, the last four test matches, particularly the two against the Springboks, and then the, I think they built and, and grew against the Argentinians was uh, was really imp- impressive. But I think as a whole, it was, um, it was a really good tournament. I think, you know, New Zealand obviously deserved winners, and they're uh, they're a class above, you know, everyone in the world at the moment, you know, particularly in the southern hemisphere. Um, and look, I think it's a uh, it's a tournament where we've seen some some growth from from Australia. I think the the Springboks looked a bit rusty and looked a bit short of match practice and playing together as, as a whole as a as a team. And um, and also you've got to take in the fact that the Argentinians. I mean, they haven't played a home game in two years. They've been on the road for nearly. I think it was you know 14, 15 weeks by the end of it, and they travelled three quarters away around the world and bubbled up in Australia. So you know a lot of that's got to be taken in. But overall, I think it was a successful rugby championship, um, particularly from an Australian point of view. Building, you know, some of these young guys are coming into the into the team and growing. Uh, you know, littered with a with a few old heads that have that have made comebacks and we've uh, you know picking some players that have been playing abroad, particularly in Japan. Uh, James uh, Allen here. Um, there's an interesting ethical discussion going on in horse racing at the moment. I'm sure Barnsley could bore us all to death talking about it. We're talking about the idea of cloning horses and whether it's acceptable and whether we should do it. But if you had the chance to clone Michael Hooper, would you do it? No, I think so. I think, look, he's uh, he's a freak of a player. I mean, he's just his durability, I mean, to play that many test matches, I can't remember. I think there was a stat that came out. He's only missed one rugby championship game since he made his rugby championship debut, which was, I think, back in 2013. And and that was when he had a, a stiff hamstring. Since then, he has started in every single rugby championship game the Wallabies have played, which is quite phenomenal in the position that he plays. Um, look, he's, he's on track to probably break the test record uh, you know, touch wood that there's no injuries. I mean, he he very rarely comes off the field. I, you know, I struggle to think of games where he's been subbed off. So he's 80 minutes every week and he just doesn't stop. James, uh, staying on the subject of sevens and captains, the All Blacks have announced their uh, spring tour, as you boys call it, down south. And and Sam Kane, the uh, nominated captain of, of the All Blacks, when uh, they changed management... He's back in the squad, but the captaincy remains for the moment with Ardi Savaya. How difficult a call is this going to be? Well, I think it, look, I think it's going to work out on, on how Sam Kane's obviously fitness comes. But I think when you look, particularly on these tours, you know, you, there's talk. I mean, they, they you don't want to label it, but there's like a tour captain and then an on-field captain. I think, look, Savaya has done a great job on the field. And look, he's... I mean, his performances speak for himself. He's an absolute uh, dynamo. And you look at, and, you know, Barzi, you've just spoken there. The depth that the the All Blacks have in in back row is quite scary. Um, so I think, look, for someone like Sam Kane, might be good for him not to have the C next to his name, and he can just concentrate. He's obviously had a bit of uh, some issues with with some injuries around his neck and his head, and and so forth. So look, I I would, I think you keep it with Surveyor for the time being. And then once he builds his confidence back up and, and as the team get, he, you know, he gets confidence and he feels that he can start, he, he deserves to start over um, Artie, then, then that that's when the question comes up. But until then, I think it's, um, you've got to work on him, make sure he's fit, get his performance up. And then that's when you make that decision. But I, I'd imagine he would be heavily involved with the way that the structure and the week and the training and the, and the management decisions going forward. It just might, he just might not have a seat next week name on the pitch. There was an interesting thing the the news that the news that broke this morning or or evening time as it would be for for James that uh, Sam Kane is coming back from injury. He's been injured for six months, and in order to get ready to go on this tour to head uh, across here, he's playing in the Heartland Championship for the the King's Country Rams. And I was trying to think, I was trying to think where else that would possibly happen. Can you imagine Kyle Sinclair coming back from six months of injury and playing for Battersea Ironsides? It's such a it's amazing the way that they link up with that. Um, Sticking with Captain, well, actually, just I wanted to get everyone's thoughts on uh, whilst we're talking about the All Blacks, what we thought of that game at the weekend because, geez, it was a humdinger of a match, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was a great test match. I mean, it was a, um, 
you know, it's probably what we've come to expect. But when you see these two teams play each other, the All Blacks in South Africa, I mean, the first one was a little bit different. But, you know, I think someone put a stat up the other day or yesterday, I think it was after or this morning, my time, once um, after the two games, excluding a, the 2019 World Cup match. I think in the last five years, the, the, the results between the South Africa and New Zealand, the scores are 161 apiece. So it's sort of like it just shows you how evenly matched and how good a game it was. And look, it was um, – I thought the, the Springboks weren't going to do it in the end, but uh, they, they got there in the end. And I, I was quite happy for them because I, I think they've been through a bit. and They're probably, you know, no doubt getting a lot of heat back home. So it's, uh, it's nice to finish a tour like that on a win. I think uh, it was fascinating as well. In South Africa, uh, in, in the middle of the last decade – uh, went away from that South African game plan, the intense power of the pack, uh, kicking game, and and they became very open and they tried to play like New Zealand. And if you remember, everyone, the All Blacks were beaten in 50, 55 nil, and Erasmus came in and he tightened it. And, you know, I've been very critical of South Africa this year, but not because they played that intense forward-based uh, kicking game, but because they have been cynical and they have been slow and they actually haven't been um, very good against New Zealand. Uh, it, the intensity they brought to their game was old style South Africa. That was the intensity we haven't seen since they blew England away in the World Cup final. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right, Barnes. And I think even the week before they, you could hear all the, the commentary coming out of New Zealand after that, you know, you talk about the slowing of the game and how they were just taking a knee and just make that it really annoyed the All Blacks. And you could tell that they were getting frustrated. And then I think this week, they, they as you said, the intensity stuck it to them and they just were doing some really uncharacteristic things. You know, they it's almost like, you know, a, a machine once they get into these points, you know, down the five metre, they just, they know what they're going to do. They do it. It's almost like they don't have to speak to each other. They just look at each other and go, yep, we know what we're doing. And then they were, they were throwing things out, you know, that you talked about. So look, I think it, I think that it's interesting to see whether the, the that intensity, because the Springboks obviously haven't played provincial rugby, the players against in the super rugby, whether that, has an element to do with it. They haven't actually played in this sort of pit game where it's faster paced. The All Blacks and the Aussies are playing, trying to play a bit more up tempo. And then the only real games they've had against the Lions, where it was sort of two teams trying to almost belt the crap out of each other for, for for three games, and there wasn't sort of too much tempo put on the ball. And whether that has an impact, that you know, obviously the Southern Hemisphere teams, particularly Australia, New Zealand, like to play the game a little bit differently. We like, you know, and the weather helps, you know, it's, it was 33 degrees here today and it's meant to be spring. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's certainly an impact and it'll be interesting to see moving forward now that the uh, South Africans are up playing in the, you know, up in the Northern Hemisphere, how that impacts the, the spring box and how they play the game against the Southern Hemisphere teams. James, on the Wallabies, um, you mentioned Michael Hooper's stint in Japan. They, they've picked... Karevri off the back of a, a season in Japan and Quade Cooper's back. Now, you played with Quade. I just wonder how you see his journey, how much of a... You know, do you recognise the player he is now and the person he's now to the to the player who you uh, played alongside? And, and it, is his return, you know, permanent now through to the World Cup or is this just a, um, a stopgap? Uh, look, I think, you know, on, on your first question, I think sort of Quade is... Everyone knew him, knew him as this sort of maverick. Um, and I think that was the sort of persona he had on the field. I guess being having played with him, you know, for nearly 10 years, um, you know, while he was a maverick on the field, he, I think he was a, he's a real student of the game and he understood and he, and he thought deeply about the game. And I just probably, he got caught up a little bit in that persona that, you know, everyone expects me to throw these miracle balls out the back, do the crossfield kicks in my own end goal and flick it, flick it, you know, 40 metre spiral passes to the wing. And it didn't always work. And I think, you know, now he's gone away and he's matured as a person as well as a rugby player. He's not, while he still has that in the locker and I've seen him do it in recent times, he's just, he's just making that mature decisions. And that's the role that he needs to play in the team. And I think that's the, the greatest thing about, you know, his comeback is, the, the Wallabies have put him in because they needed a bit of a calmer head, a mature head. You know, they, they struggled a little bit with with Noah Lolosia there. He was just making some – just wasn't calm and comfortable and they just needed someone to steady the ship because they've got these exciting young outside backs and that's the role he played. He didn't try and overplay his hand and I think that's the best thing about it, about what he's done. And look, 
I don't see why there's any reason not to pick him to the to the World Cup. I, you know, obviously he's got some club commitments in Japan and how they worked out. He's been clear. He's apparently been clearance to give uh, to play to go on the on the autumn international tour. And I've just seen he's been picked for the Bar Bars against Samoa, so they're obviously not too concerned with that. But look, it's um, you know it's exciting to see him back, and I hope I hope it continues. And in terms of comebacks, um, Will Skelton made a massive impact for Saracens here. He's now playing over in France. That he's obviously the kind of player that Dave Rennie will target for that World Cup. Um, do you? What, what are the? What's the chat down under? Will we see him in a Wallaby jersey again? Well, I think the the chat is that that a few, there's a couple of guys that are based in Europe currently that will join the squad for the European part of the tour. Is what we're hearing. Um, so Will Will is one of them. Uh, Rory Arnold, who's currently playing in Toulouse, so another lock. Uh, and Tolu Latu, I think, who's playing his trade in France as well for uh, Stade Francais, who's a, who's a hooker who was at the Waratahs and played a little bit. So there's there's talk around bolstering the squad in that aspect. Um, you know, it looks like we'll probably leave a couple of our younger guys behind to get a preseason under their belts because they've probably played a bit of rugby in this last little bit. So that you know, they're a couple of the younger locks and back rowers that the, the rumours are going around that they'll they'll wait behind and they'll they'll pick up some of the European-based guys to play um, for COVID reasons as well, um, but just because travel is not as easy to get it, get back into Oz and these sort of things. So, look, I, I think he, as a as a player, I think, you know, from a Wallaby point of view, we want to see our best guys play. And I think we've seen the impact that we've seen from Quaid, Samu Karevi, I think has been probably our player of the rugby championship since he's come back. Um, you know, Sean McMahon's come back into the, the fold. He only got a couple of, you know, I think 20 minutes off the bench in this first test. But look, I think there's a big, if we can pick from our full list of players, and I think the confidence it gives these younger guys, because we've got some great young talent come through, coming through the under 20 system. We've had been very successful uh, through the under 20 World Cups the last sort of couple of years. And these guys are starting to find their feet. They just need some more mature heads and guys that are a bit more, you know, nuanced around the game, particularly when coming up and playing in the Northern Hemisphere. And, you know, the, the point is now, Australia haven't played an away game for almost two years, realistically. We've only played in New Zealand or Australia. We haven't toured because of COVID. So this is our first opportunity to go away, go to amazing rugby venues like Twickenham, um, you know, the Millennium, and really see what happens when the heat's on, the, the fans are, you know, belting down your, down your, down your neck. And, and that's what I'm excited to see about this coming upcoming tour. That was James Hall, um, former Australia captain, and we will get him back on during the Autumn Internationals when the Wallabies are, are up in this part of the world. Next to come on the ruck, uh, we'll discuss the Premiership and the closest set of results in the league for five seasons. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So the Premiership season has started with a bang. And, and this weekend, round three, all, all the matches were separated by the grand total of 30 points. And, and we're, we're told it was the closest set of results since the... 2016-17 season um, I was at Bristol Bath on uh, on Friday night which went right down to the wire Stuart were you following from afar as you were monitoring NRL Rugby Championship 
Premiership, United Rugby Championship, whatever it's called, <laughs> Ultimate Fighting Championship. Well, well I, I was actually uh, sending you a little message saying, please ask Stuart Hooper why the hell Bath took um, Sam Underhill off in about the 55th minute, but you were probably too busy to pick that one up. So I was... Um, <laughs> I, I was monitoring that one very closely. I, I wanted to get to the game, but I couldn't, which was un, unfortunate. But I thought it was a, a fascinating game. It was, in some ways, the best I've seen Bath's attacking game for two or three years. Um, and Bailey, Orlando Bailey, the young fly half, finally looked like the player um, I keep hearing about in the West Country. And, and I must say... Uh, the timing of his passing, the the lateness uh, of his execution, quite clearly you could see the influence of, of Cipriani. Uh, my old mate Steve's lad, Max Ajomo, was extremely good. Sam Underhill, I thought, was played like the best open side, which he is on his day in, the, in Britain. And I don't understand why Bath took him off. And I think that more than the two yellow cards cost them the game. Bristol won the match. Uh, but Bristol won it by uh, reverting to a, a catch-and-drive game that I think against bigger and more organised teams, they won't find it so easy. So, yeah, Bristol, they needed the win. Both teams had lost two. Um, but uh, Bristol look a shadow uh, of the side they were without Randrandra. And um, I think it, it's possible that right now they've still got a few more issues to address uh, than a Bath team who, if if they can get winning at some stage, uh, look half decent. Yeah, I think there's going to be an awful lot of of talk about the decisions. Um, It's interesting, we're seeing more and more critique of of referees publicly coming from players as well. I've seen quite an awful, quite a few players talking about the the knock-on that wasn't um, to to cancel out Ojomo's try. And I think we're going to be hearing an awful, awful lot about that. But just just to go back slightly, it's, it's amazing to have a game where both teams have a recent history of losing, but we've come away from this game where there's, if you want, there's positives for both sides. It's listening to people in Bath. They're very, uh, firstly, Bristol have got the win that they needed. They needed to get that mm. monkey off their back. But also Bath, uh, I think I spoke to quite a few nervous people before this game happened and you come away with it and Ojomo's getting a lot of credit. He's he's had a fantastic start to the season. He's obviously got a very bright future. But just to go back to what Stuart was saying about uh, Joseph, there. I mean, over the last couple of years, I've spoken to Anthony Watson quite a few times for different pieces, and it's come up quite often with him where he, he reckons that Joseph is one of the best readers of the game that he's come across, and that includes anyone that he's worked with in England and anything like that. And it seems like if anyone's going to pick up little bits and pieces from people, it sounds like, at least if you speak to his best mate, that Joseph's going to be one of those players that does it, and, and it looks like it's, it's really coming off. His distribution seemed mm. excellent at the weekend, and if Stuart's right, there's something to build on there. It's just they need to stay on that front foot. And we'll talk about a couple of the other games this this weekend where when you don't have that front football, it's it's difficult. And it's a conversation we're always going to have uh, about particularly young young playmakers is, are they good on the back foot? But certainly there's there's reasons to be cheerful if you want to find them from both of these teams. Yeah, and it, it was one of those nights where I was filing a runner, which means I filed a chunk at half-time and then had to file the top of the of the first edition match report and then the end on the final whistle. And it was one of those where I had two different two different tops of the match report going because you didn't quite know which way it was going to fall. And yeah. had Bath ended up winning it, um, I'd have been zoning in on Will Mule's second try, which I just thought was just a beautiful piece of rugby. Um, Maxi Jomo's chip and gather, and then uh, Ben Urbano carries it. And then that cross-kick Stewart from Orlando Bailey, which had Danny Cipriani's... Uh, fingerprints all over it a sort of hooked grubber kick over his shoulder over the defensive line bounces bounces out wide for for Will Muir yeah. brilliant what the, the the execution was excellent but never mind that it was the vision yeah uh, and this is what I've thought about my old club for a long time uh, Bath appeared inwards that the, they have done everything micromanagement each player looking at each particular play and and what you get then is 80 individual minutes uh, you don't see the broad thing, and that's what Bath have been lacking so much, and that's that. That's why it was good for them. But you know, one has to say that it's just as well there's no relegation because it's now three defeats, and you do need to start winning. And they've got Saracens at home next, and then Quinns away. So 
Bath, a, a good performance will account for very little if they don't get anything from uh, two very difficult features after the fixtures after their rest weekend coming up. So it's a difficult position to chuck in players like Orlando Bailey, um, albeit he's not a complete rookie, he has played last season, but you know they're in a hole and you're asking players like Bailey and Anna Jomo and Tom de Glanville um, to, to run the attacking game, to, to drag them out of it. It's, it's not easy. They do have Cipriani there once he's fit, but do you think they, they stick with, with with someone like Bailey or, or do they bring Danny back? I think, listen, um, it's an 80-minute game and I, I think whichever way they do it, they've got they've got two guys. I think they want to get Cipriani on the field, but that doesn't mean you don't play Orlando Bailey. Uh, and I haven't sort of thought about which way they should do it yet, but certainly um, they've got uh, an experienced fly half and they've got an a, a exciting young one. And I, it, it makes eminent sense for them both to be involved. And, and the, the other thing, um, and I hate the R word has to come up, relegation, because a flip side of this is um, there should be there should be punishments for not being able to win because much as I'm a performance over results man, in the end, you've got to get those results. You get the performances and it breeds through to getting the results. But if you keep losing, then there should be some punishment. And with no relegation, you know, there are teams like Bath and you know, other sides who can just say, well, you know, we've lost five games, so we're not going to make uh, the top four. So we're blooding young ones. And I, I really fear that. I do not want to see young ones being blooded until at least the last 20% of the season because I find that an insult to paying spectators. I guess the flip side to that is that there are young ones being blooded everywhere, particularly at, at a club like Leicester, and, and they're doing... They're flying. Um, no, but they've got, to, they've got to be good enough, you know? Okay, they're flying now, but two years, when Borthwick started, okay, you know, are the fans prepared to have that sort of weight? Because that's what we're talking about now. You bring young people in with, without experience or the requisite ability, and you end up in the situation when they're saying, ah, oh, watch them in two years. Now, I would say, is the premiership the vehicle where you should be bringing someone through who will be good in two years. Now, if the crowd say, yeah, that's fine, okay. And they might say it while their team are being successful. But if their team are not being successful and they're doing it, and there's not even the uh, adrenaline of, of the relegation battle, what is the purpose of being a season ticket holder at a club? If I could take a slight tangent off of this uh, and, and just talk about Leicester... Interestingly, we're talking about selection here and when Leicester picked their team to play this weekend, I was a bit perplexed looking at the bench. I thought, why have we got so many established or, or players that are in supreme form on the bench? I'm thinking of Freddie Stewart, I'm thinking of Ellis Genge. But I'll tell you what, the tactic played fantastically well because they were in the fight with Saris and then when you bring those guys on, the the impetus that it, that it, it gives them and, uh, okay, we can talk about, yeah, we know, we're talking about decisions again and sometimes we, we obsess too much. I think it was something that was seen after the fact. There was a reversal mm. uh, of a penalty decision and actually on, on analysis it looks like um, uh, Alad Davis got a, a shot to the head which maybe should have seen another reversal, reversal on reversal. I don't know how that works. I don't know whether you're coming and going but but perhaps we could have had that. But in the end it went to a, a driving mall and Leicester Tigers got the... Um, Got the uh, the penalty try from that. I mean, it's a ferocious thing. This Leicester Tigers driving mall. They they had the energy at the end of the game. It's fascinating. Interestingly, I'm just going to pick up quickly before I come back to Leicester. Something that that Stuart said there about Bristol going for drives. Actually, with a couple of games to go last season, Bristol and Leicester Tigers were neck and neck for uh, driving mall tries last mm. season which is an interesting thing I don't think too many people picked mm. up on that because we see all the exciting stuff that Bristol are, uh, are capable of they haven't been capable of that level of play so far this season a lot of people will be hoping that it comes but back back to Leicester I mean what a phenomenal start to the season they've had and as I said just at the top of this here is their, their bench decision I queried it but actually it came good yeah I, I, well, I was up there last week I um, went into the, the training ground on Tuesday had some lunch with Kevin Sinfield, watched them train, had a really good chat with Steve Borthwick, who who will be loving the fact that they're three from three, but he will <laughs> there's part of him which is desperately trying to get the message out that he doesn't think they're ready yet. Like he's he's 
as we've spoken about before, he's he's trying to turn the ship around. What was so, the quote he said after the game? He said, "Oh, I don't look at wins and losses." And it's like, come on, yeah. it's got to be pretty good to have three wins and zero losses. He'll, he, knowing Steve, he'll he'll you know he'll he'll love the wins, but he he's trying to keep a lid on everything. Um, he's aware that expectation levels are rising. They've got this great crop of of homegrown players, some very smart recruitment, both on the coaching staff and in the squad. Um, but he knows the size of the task ahead to to re-establish Leicester at the very top. And, you know, he's had to make some tweaks to the training ground, tried to modernise it, to, you know, bringing in someone like Sinfield, who is, a, a you know, a union rookie, but the imprint he'll have on the culture and developing leadership in players like Ellis Genge and, and Jack Van Pertfleet and the, that younger generation, I think, is a masterstroke. Um but I just know that Steve will be at home loving the wins but hating the fact that people are getting overexcited or are getting excited because he'll be he'll be worried about how about what lies ahead, you know, as he said to me, you know, doesn't this season doesn't finish till June. There's a hell of a long way to go in this season and even that won't complete the journey he's trying to take the club on. On the on the flip side of that, um there's a lot of noise already gathering about uh Leicester Tigers. If you're a Northampton Saints fan, you're gonna hope that people aren't talking about you and still talking about them as we go on because they've had a phenomenal start to the season as well but for some reason we're just not giving them the same level of narrative up to this point and it, that probably is the perfect scenario for Saints do you reckon? Yeah I, No I, 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 I would disagree there with you uh, Alan because I think until Saturday a lot of what we saw from Leicester um, was high quality stuff and, and they both won three games but I, I, you know, I've watched the Northampton games and they've been scruffy and there's no doubt at all my old mate Chris Boyd has been making the points. He's delighted to have the wins, but they cannot keep winning uh, with the way they're playing at the moment. And I don't know if they have the spine that uh, Leicester have and, and the squad strength to see it through. Um, so I, I think Leicester, forget the fact that the East Midlands are, are the two teams with three for three, Leicester have shown enough to suggest that they have the spine to go all the way. Northampton might have it, but we haven't seen it yet. And, and they're, they're grubbing wins, but the way they're playing, they can't keep doing that. It's it, That's not going to happen unless something fairly radical occurs in the way they play, I think. Do you, not think, they, do you not think they could maybe do a deal where they play Albert Tuisui every week so he can give away a silly, silly challenge at the end and give him a penalty to win it? Do you know what? I I watched that and I just thought he moved his head just to say, hey, get out of the way. I, I know you can't do it, but he was in no way going to damage the opposing man. And I know it's all a bit macho and crazy, but I saw that and I'm just thinking, yeah, it's daft because he's going to give a penalty away. But are our officials in complete control in terms of understanding and empathising with what rugby union is. I'm not saying that's macho, the Tuasui thing, but it, it wasn't dangerous. It wasn't damaging. It had no intent other than to say, watch out, mate, I got your number. And that's sort of what is what rugby is in, to a large degree or part of it. Uh, are they responding too closely to, you know, what it looks like on social media? What, what the the outcry they fear from um, from parents and that whole sort of optics of of the sport I, rather than understanding actually how it works on the field, without any doubt at all, um, player health and safety uh, is the driver of decision making. And whilst we all want player health and safety, there has to be a degree of rationality. And at times, I think referees are too busy going to see what's on their Twitter feed or what's being said in newspapers, then they are having the courage to say, no, I'm not going to do that. But that's not their fault only because we in print or on television, there's also a hunt from our industry to catch players. We're screaming player safety all the time. So I, Whilst I'm criticising the referees, I'm also criticising us 
and I'm criticizing fans and thinking, let's just try and get some balance there. Now, I'll probably end up getting chastised for just saying this, um, but we live in an age where we have to be able to debate in all sorts of regions outside of sport, and sometimes we can't, and we need to be able to do that, and referees need to be able to think through uh, situations like the Tuisui one and think, hold on, there was no damage done, there was no intent, it was just, it was a psychological moment, and that's all it was. Rugby has psychology. Just to wrap things up here is, um, you know, there's whenever Match of the Day's on, there's always a, a debate about the running order and who's going to get the credit they're due, and I think it's a good opportunity to give Newcastle Falcons the credit they're due. Two, win, two wins from three, um, I think, uh, and also Richard Cockrell was in attendance uh, from the England coaching team, so he saw what was going on with their... I don't, Something's just happening up north. It's maybe don't want to get too carried away. You know, we're very early on in the season, but you know, if we're talking about peaks and troughs, they're they're really on on the rise at the moment. I think Will Welch, uh, a long term servant for Newcastle Falcons, the performance he put in on the weekend needs a big old nod. And um, I just say, is Adam Radwan in in previous games recently has has been phenomenal in this. I hope he stays at, at, at a level because he is one of the most interesting characters I've interviewed in recent years. He's, I think the Welsh would call him clean off. Uh, I spoke to him about how he eats a packet of McCoy's crisps at half time. I talked about storming Area 51. He's he's a live wire, both on and off the pitch. And I just hope that he he maintains a level and, and Newcastle Falcons c- continue in this vein because it's, it's good to have something happening. Newcastle have been frustrated for for a while that they don't think they get the the attention they deserve. But when when you have players like Radwan, like Callum Chick, like Trevor Davison, Jamie Bermire, who are now all forcing their their way into an England setup, um, you know it used to be Mark Wilson sort of carrying the flag for that club, but but no longer, and and they'll love that up there because they do feel a bit forgotten. Well, old Newcastle, you know, if you look at their budget and the importance of the academy and how little they probably spent compared to the other 12 teams in the Premiership. If this was a horse race and you were handicapping the 13 teams, uh, Newcastle would be, at the moment, quite a long way out in front in the race in a handicap. They're doing... Richards uh, and Walder and Easter joining are doing a really good job. But I'd say this, I remember the start of last season, they beat Wasser away and they played really well. And their problem is the depth of their squad and they got caught out last season. I'm hoping that with people like Mike Brown there as well, that Newcastle um, will will have the ballast to go through. Oh, and on, and on the subject, that was another awful yellow, uh, red card. What, what? How come players who hang on to feet to stop you trying to play uh, a positive form of rugby are allowed to do it time and time again? And I'm thinking of the Mike Brown red card he got at Was last year. In fact, it was Was again against Newcastle. How come you can hang on to someone for about a minute, then someone tries to shrug you off? He did not deliberately put a finger in the eye and he ends up getting the red card. So the the person who has been purely, wholly, 100% negative gets nothing. The bloke who's trying to play the game gets sent off. It is... Illogical nonsense. Red cards for the cynics and cheats as well. Then from that Stewart's proposal for for refereeing going forward, we'll have uh, we'll put that to Christoph Ridley next time he comes on. Next, we'll have a quick chat about the Saracens' takeover, and we'll come up with our god and goddesses of the week. So it emerged on Friday. The big news at Saracens is that the Nigel Ray era which has carried them from the dawn of professionalism through to now, is is over. He'll be taking a minority share in, in a club that he's invested in since 1996, and a new consortium is going to take, take ownership of the club, injecting £32 million into Saracens to help complete the construction of the stadium, the development of the women's team, and, uh, so we're told, development of a high-performance centre. The overall headline is that Nigel Ray, the man who sort of bankrolled the club, the man who has done an enormous amount of good for for, for that club, for, for Premiership Rugby, who has overseen really the, the transformation of, of that team from a park club to European champions and 
five-time Premiership champions is is following what he said he would do after they were forced to be relegated for salary cap breaches, which is to to back away from from frontline involvement. He he stood down as chairman, he left the board, and now he's no longer the majority owner of the club. Um, did, Stuart or oh, Al? Did, did this? I was just wondering. Did this new consortium have a, a high flying name? I'm thinking of when South African teams have been taken over, and there's a large South African flavour to this consortium. I mean, was it the, the greatest rugby company in the world, Limited, or something, to go over one of the teams? Does this consortium have a fancy name? Uh, not that we're aware. They took over the Kings, didn't they, in South Africa? And that ended in tears. But um, I don't imagine this will be very different. Well, there's a few interesting things about this consortium. If you know, if consortiums are of any interest to, to rugby fans, but. One is Francois Pinar, who's been, you know, his, his connection with Saracens dates back to 97 when he played. He was chief executive, he's been on the board. He is part of this consortium, as is Marco Mazzotti, a New York-based lawyer who led the consortium that bought out the Sharks in, in Durban earlier this year and was also the lawyer who tweeted after Razi Erasmus had been, um, had released his video during the Lions series, that he had an army of New York lawyers ready to step in and defend Razzie against World Rugby, um, all of which is quite entertaining. But the thing that interests me is that if he's a part of a consortium that owns the Sharks and part of a consortium that owns Saracens, is whether that will end up being signed off by the RFU and Premiership Rugby because we've seen other potential takeovers fall foul of conflict of interest rules. And if the Sharks do well in the United Rugby Championship and qualify for Europe... They could end up playing against Saracens, um, so that that's one small but quite interesting detail to me about that takeover. Um, Stuart, what, what what are your thoughts on on Saris and and on maybe on Nigel Ray's legacy? He's done so much for the game, but obviously his name will forever be attached to to scandal. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think we've got to remember uh, this is very much a case of deja vu. Uh, you know, we, we all know Nigel did sell uh, the majority interest uh, uh, South African consortium quite some time back with Johan Rupert, or rather um, Caroline Rupert, Johan's wife, who had 50%, and then he took it back in. Uh, and Saracens went on to even greater heights. So the South African link is one that has been there a long time you know, and one would also say the start, I think historically, you've got to remember, I think I think the start of Saracen's run towards uh, greatness in terms of their, 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 their trophies in England and Europe uh, came not when Nigel Ray took over in the dawn of professionalism and there was Frankie P, uh, Michael and Philippe Seller. It came when Brendan Fenter came with his hard-nosed attitude and he made them one of the ugliest teams uh, in Northern Europe before uh, they evolved under Mark McCall into the, 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 the most streetwise team we have seen in 20 years. So the South African influence is there. Uh, and I think what you just said, you know, where are the great South Africa? I mean, Sia Khaleesi plays for the Sharks. Is he going to go to Saracens? I don't know. It, 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 it's, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? As for, as for Nigel Ray, um, things went on under his watch that were um, against the laws of the sport and the spirit of the sport. Uh, his greatest sin uh, was to be found out when he had a team that was so much better than everyone else. There was a, a huge degree of, I feel, hypocritical anger. Saracens, like Icarus, um, paid a price for flying too high, and that applies to Nigel Ray. Um, he's been there forever and a day since this game went professional. Um, and I, I was, wouldn't hesitate to call him uh, one of the uh, most influential, outstanding and overall uh, uh, beneficial men within the English club game, despite all that happened at the end. I think as, as we move to, to our weekly feature of God or Goddess of the Week, I don't think I'll be putting words into Stephen Jones's mouth to suggest that he would probably pick... Nigel Ray is his God of the Week for for all the good that he did bring to Saracens and and that's raised levels of, across the league and uh, and the rest of us would would highlight um, the cloud upon which he operated in the last few years. But I know Steve was uh, a big supporter. Um, Al, who would your God or Goddess of the Week be? Uh, 
Uh, as mentioned when we were talking about the rugby championship, um, it's it's been a bit of a torrid time for for the Pumas. Um, there's a lot of question marks over the Mario Ledesma reign and whether or not he should go out. I think I saw someone suggesting that Gonzalo Quesada should replace him at some point. There's a lot of chatter about that. Um, he but, might want to stop his players going off on the smash in Byron Bay yeah, and not being allowed back into Queensland. That yeah, might help. I mean, already had their problem, didn't have problems to seek before they decided to cross the border in Australia, <laughs> which did not help. But there's one player I wanted to give a nod to. Um, I saw this I saw this stat, and I, I don't know how accurate it is, but I think it's very interesting. America's Rugby News said that after Thomas Geijo scored two tries on his debut, that he was the the first uh, the first in the professional first prop in the professional year to score two tries on debut. Which, if that's true, fair play to him. And if you think if you hear Thomas Geijo and you think that name rings a bell, a couple of years ago in the under twenties World Championship, he's the prop that scored that incredible try oh, from yeah. inside his own half that went viral, and everyone's like, "Wow, who is this guy?" Debut debut scores two tries against Wolbys. Fair play. That. So Thomas Geisel, he's he's my man. I'm loving that. Stu? Uh, hats off to Al there. Yeah. Had I that knowledge, I think I might have gone that way as well. And but I am gonna stick with the theme of front row forwards. Yes. Um as I as I said when we were talking to um our mate James Horwell earlier. Uh, I was just delighted to see Malcolm Marks come back into the fold, not just as a collective, but as a brilliant player. And I, I would like to see him uh, starting for the Springboks and, and people to remember uh, that he is the best hooker in the world. His performance for 41 minutes was absolutely magnificent. So Malcolm Marks is mine and it's... Uh, yeah. 2-0 to the front rows. Alex, where are you going? Well, Can you I, make it a clean sweep? No, I, I won't. In fact, I'm going to pick someone who would have absolutely no idea of what goes on in the front row. So I'm going to pick uh, I'm going to pick Kevin Sinfield because uh, I just thought I was blown away by meeting him. I thought he was an incredible guy. And um, he's three from three with Leicester, so he's doing something right on the field as well. Everyone, thank you for joining us. This has been The Ruck from The Times and Sunday Times. We'll be here every week throughout the season bringing you the latest discussions and insights. So please follow, please subscribe from where you get your, po- your podcast from. And thank you very much to Alan Dimmock and to Stuart Barnes. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.